Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Sean Hess has been changed by the gospel. In today's episode, he will share about his experience as the Yellow Jacket mascot, how the death of a close friend changed his life, and encouraging men to grow into God's calling for their lives. Enjoy this conversation with your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, for the introduction. And hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. Joining me today on the program is a man who has a heart to see men deepen their relationships with Jesus and with other men. His name is Sean Hess, and he graduated from Cedarville University with a degree in business in 1990. Sean, a native of Xenia, Ohio, now resides in Florida with his wife of 32 years, Jamie, who he met while they were both students at Cedarville. Sean and Jamie have three children, all of whom graduated from Cedarville. Tyler and Megan are twins, and they'll celebrate their 26th birthdays next month, and Michael is two years younger. Sean served in church ministry for 32 years before starting Time to Man Up Ministries, which focuses on a full-scale plan of building into the lives of men, which is sorely needed in our culture today. In his current ministry, Sean develops curriculum that leads men into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And he also is the voice of a very good podcast called Time to Man Up that you can hear wherever you listen to podcasts. And this is a very good podcast that I'd recommend to you that you listen to. We'll dive into all these topics today on the podcast, but for now, let me welcome Sean Hess to the Cedarville Stories podcast. It's great to have you on the program, Sean. Uh, Mark, it is great to be with you today. I'm excited for this opportunity just to kind of relive some some life experiences there at Cedarville and also to share kind of what God's been doing in my life. Yeah, that's that's the goal of the podcast today. And there are so many places where I'd like to begin a conversation or I could mm-hmm. begin the conversation. But I want to start with a topic that seems obvious seemed obvious to me when I was preparing for today's program. And that's just how deep the Cedarville University family community runs in your family, dating back to when your parents graduated in 1967. Can you explain, can you explain the impact that Cedarville has had on your family's life? You know, it has just been amazing to know that we have three generations that have gone through Cedarville. Uh, So that's where I met my wife and uh, we uh, then got married upon graduating in 1990 And then to be honest, uh, I tried to get my kids to go somewhere else because I thought I love Cedarville, but man, I wanted them to go out and explore their own life and and not just be stuck with what mom and dad did. And all three of them chose to go to Cedarville and uh, it was wonderful experiences for all of them. Just amazing. What did they major in? So uh, my daughter was an education major and then my, both of my sons were sports management majors. And your, your youngest son just graduated last year, right? Right, he did. Yeah, basically, uh, we had twins, but one graduated in three, one took four. And so we had three years in a row of graduation. Unfortunately, one of those was a COVID year that we watched from home. But three years in a row, we had a, a kid graduate from Cedarville. Your parents, um, in addition to graduating from Cedarville, also worked in our education department. What were the roles in in the Department of Education. Right. So my dad had served in Xenia. We were right from Xenia, local family growing right. up. Right. And uh, because of his experience as a, a principal and in the education system, 
Uh, Cedarville hired him on to be the director of student teaching and licensure. And so it fit him perfect because he was able to use his connections to help those students that were looking to become teachers. And so that was a great opportunity. And then my mom came in and she was an assistant professor of education. And she just loved investing in the kids through the classroom. Uh, They just really thrived and loved that opportunity. I always tease my parents that working at Cedarville kept them younger because of (laughs) all the college students. It just keeps you younger. And uh, it was a great opportunity for them. I agree. It does keep us younger, which is... (laughs) A reason why I, I, I joke that maybe I stay longer than I probably should, <laughs> but uh, no, it does keep us young. So as an alumnus, Sean, back in 1990 um, right. to last year when your son graduated from Cedarville, how would you compare the Cedarville University of today with the Cedarville of when you graduated? There are more buildings around the lake. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's no more room. Right. I mean, anybody that went back when I did remembers those horrible days in the winter where you had to walk down the path uh, towards the James T. Jeremiah Chapel, and that wind just whipped across the water. Now, it may be still cold, but at least they have some buildings blocking that. But what I also noticed was this. We'll just say this. The music you could listen to was a lot different back when I was there. <laughs> and uh, I think they started opening up to some things like, say, a DC talk because uh, aerobics and, and stuff needed a little more upbeat music. But the, it is definitely the, the climate has definitely changed there. And, and I think for a very positive uh, direction. I should have asked you before that question. You didn't. You didn't uh, push your your children to come to Cedarville. You actually pushed them to go elsewhere, and they chose to come to Cedarville. Did your parents push you to come to Cedarville? <laughs> well, that was a loaded question right there because for me, my mom and dad said uh, one of the requirements was that I put a year in at a Christian school if they were going to help me finance my college experience. And so I kind of went kicking and screaming to Cedarville, being from Xenia, only about twenty minutes away. Um, I was dating a girl at that time from my hometown, and so local was good. And I went there, and I really wasn't fully into it, and I was just having some personal struggles, and uh, that was the place that I ended up in. Uh, But their requirement was just to go to a Christian school, and clearly, by the end of it, I was very grateful for my experience there. Yeah. So as... um I've been preparing for this podcast. One thing I did was I got on your site and looked at some of your videos. Right. And I'm looking at you right now. We're doing this through Teams, and I can see you in your studio, and you have a nice backdrop <laughs> and nice shelves. And one thing I noticed um, was that on one side, you have a bobblehead of the Cedarville Yellow Jacket, and on the other side, you have a bobblehead of Dr. Paul Dixon. So what's the reasons to have those in such a prominent place? Right. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, one of the greatest lessons, and it doesn't necessarily translate spiritually, and yet it does, but one of the greatest lessons that Dr. Dixon taught me was to do everything with quality. Because I think so much in life, we can just try to get by. And he always said, man, do things with quality. If you're going to do things to God, if you're going to do them as to Christ, don't just go half-hearted on it. Give everything you have to it. And so that was the quality that was really instilled with me. In my first two years, I really wasn't listening to that. To be honest, I didn't like going to chapel. I did it because you had to. Church was a check-off-the-box thing. And uh, through time, God worked that. And a lot of that was through Dr. Dixon's ministry there as the president of the college. So, uh, Sean, for the record, 
in my office, in my in my bookshelf behind me, I have I have a oh, bobblehead yeah. of the yellow jacket. <laughs> I have a bobblehead of Dr. Dixon. Classics. Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. There you go. You can't see. There you go. And not only that, I've got I have mine a bob- sitting right with me. <laughs> yep. And I, I have a bobblehead of one of my favorite colleagues, Dr. or Mike DeKerchi. Yes. So um so why do we keep these things so close to us? What do they what do they what do they communicate to you? Man, all I gotta say is this. One of my favorite memories was the college basketball games. Yeah. And I'll just say this, Mike DeKerchi brought the energy and those gyms just rocked when he was leading that that I haven't been to a game in a long time. But what I know is this there was no environment in really college basketball that matched what Cedarville did under Mike DeKerchi's leadership and then Coach Callen with the basketball team. Uh, and I go back to even the old gym uh, where guys like uh, Womack and Mounts played uh, growing up in Xenia. We would go to those games. And even back then, the energy was unbelievable. And so yeah. I grew up, Mark, loving the mascot. And I watched it go through like a paper mache head that they used. I mean, it was <laughs> it was really primitive. And so when I got there, uh, my first three years, my first two years, I wanted nothing to do with it. I just went to the games. And then what I couldn't figure out is my senior year, I got selected to be the mascot. Yeah. And I don't know how none of my friends figured it out because I went from being at every basketball game to no <laughs> basketball games. And, uh, not one of them had a question for me, but I loved my time as a, as a mascot. And I've got some pretty amazing stories that emerged from that time. <laughs> one of the funniest ones, uh, this will be kind of a part one or two. We had a meet the team night and I remember being out there and, uh, man, I was just being a mascot and, uh, Dr. Callen comes over to me and he says, hey, Sean, um, a little less dancing. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, <laughs> oh, okay. And then I said, well, during the game, he's probably not going to recognize what's going on. But then there was one game where Mount Vernon got snowed in and they weren't able to make it down on time. And so the, the gym is packed and everybody's just sitting there. And I thought, man, I got to do something because that's my job as a mascot. I've got to do something so I went over and Mark Combs was on the team at that time. And we had grown up close to each other. So I knew Mark and I thought he was a safe guy to go ask. So I went over and I tried to taunt him and get him to come up and play basketball one-on-one with me. And I remember Dr. Callen came down to me and he said, go to the end of the bench. <laughs> In other words, get a guy that doesn't play very much. And so I did. And we went out there and all I can tell you is this shooting a basketball with that mascot outfit on was difficult. And I made the first shot and the gym just goes crazy. And again, nobody knows who I am because I kept it silent. Not a single person knew. And uh, then, of course, the, the guy drives in on me. I fake a charge. He goes up and scores. Everybody boos him. And, you know, that's great. So then I got the ball. And I, I, in regular basketball, Mark, I cannot make a normal layup. I've got to do something crazy. And so I went between my legs and it went in. And the place erupted. And, of course, I just did kind of the drop the mic. I walked off the court. And I remember after that, once they found out who on senior night that I was the B, a friend came up and he said, you know, that night where you played one-on-one, he goes, when you did that layup, I thought it was you. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so that was just, those were great experiences. And just the opportunity to do that in secrecy, nobody knowing who who you were, was just amazing. And I loved it. 
So, Sean, I'd like to transition slightly uh, in this podcast to your faith in Jesus and how mm-hmm. he's led you throughout your life. Uh, it's fair to say, I believe, that serving Jesus hasn't always been the passion of your heart. You've alluded right. to that already. Right. And your transition to, from public high school to Christian university was bumpy, that you were actually, I would say, walking away from the church. Um, right. Maybe not, not Christ, but the church while you were walking into Cedarville. So what was that like? What was that transition like for you that made uh, life more bumpy for you than what you would now expect it to be? Yeah, I think what happens when you're in high school is things begin to not go the way that you thought they should go or you planned that they should go. And when you're older and can look back, you can see that God was doing things. But when you're going through that and you're young and immature, it's just frustrating. And so I began to get very frustrated with the church because the church I grew up in was very boring. And I just didn't, I think it kind of connect there and it was just going through the motions. And then when I'd come to Cedarville, the soccer team had to come early. And so I was playing soccer at that time. And uh, a couple friends and I, we went down to church and uh, down the road from the school. And when we walked into the church, man, this was the day back when they still wore three piece suits and we went in with jeans and t-shirts And we'll just say that we were not received very well at all. And I walked (laughs) out that day and I said, I am never coming back to this church ever again. And basically my first two years at Cedarville were marked by just my frustration uh, with God, that things weren't playing out the way that I thought they should. Now, my girlfriend dumps me back home. That's a pretty big hit. But what I didn't know is that God had brought someone to Cedarville that would become right. my wife, and he right. had a plan. It's just when you're young, you don't see it. And we try to tell younger generations that, but they have to go through those experiences and learn too. Absolutely. As I was preparing further for, for today's conversation, and, and it goes along what we just what you just talked about, is you shared with me a pivotal time uh, in your college experience that really shaped your spiritual journey. Uh, can you share the experience uh, that I think took place in your junior year involving one of your friends or classmates. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, an individual, a Carrie that we had been in our unit for three years in a row, we were on our third year together and our rooms were right next to each other. And through those late nights, we just developed a, a very good friendship and I was still struggling. I, I, I was listening a little bit more to the influences in my life. I wasn't, uh, going to chapel necessarily uh, hating it, but now I was starting to loosen up on that. And uh, during a, a Easter break, spring break, uh, one of those, uh, Carrie and another a girl were, were driving home and were, were hit in, by a semi in a car accident. Mm-hmm. And I was just lingering around. Since I lived in Xenia, I, I wasn't far away. So I would just like hang out with everybody until my friends were gone. And uh, one of my friends called me and he told me that, that Carrie had been killed in a car accident. And I was like, no way. There's no way this could have happened. And I was just distraught. I didn't know what to do. My mom and dad were working. I couldn't talk to them. And I remember at the time, uh, Jeff Fawcett was teaching in the business department there in the marketing department. And man, he was an amazing godsend for me because I'm just walking around campus. Everybody's gone. And I'm just walking around kind of not even knowing what in the world's happening. And uh, I'm just, I'm broken. And uh, he just invited me into his office and just began to talk with me and just showed amazing compassion and care. And 
through that, man, Mark, God changed my life in an amazing way because what it did is I don't know if God did that to get me where I needed to be, but I definitely wasn't going to waste that, that tragic situation, that moment in my life. And from that day on, I don't know if it was a like Paul on the road to Damascus situation where he went from persecuting the church to all in for the church. But the minute that happened, my life did a 180. I always laugh because a lot of people say 360, but that puts you right back at the same right spot. That's right. <laughs> my That's life right. did a 180 and I turned around and God began to just open doors that I was amazed. But I, but I truly believe that that was the key pivotal moment that set me on a course to go into the ministry because that's not what I was seeking to do. So can you put to, to, to words, for, so our listeners can understand, when you said it took you a 180 change, Yeah. what did that look like physically um, from how you were to how you became? Yeah, I think that at that time, and I think it's a battle that everybody has, is there's this battle between selfishness and selflessness. And uh, we're very good at being selfish. It comes natural for us. And I was living all of that life for myself. And to be honest, coming from a public school and being on a soccer team there at Cedarville, man, that was frustrating for me because I, I played in high school with a rough edge group and, 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 and we played hard. And I went to Cedarville and it was totally a different approach to things. I'd never played because it was about your testimony. I played because yeah. you were going to win at all costs. And so that just caused me to get really frustrated and really angry simply at Christianity. And then again, when you are in that state, you see all the hypocrisy and, and that drives you to get frustrated. And the sad thing is, is that you're actually yourself living in hypocrisy. You just don't realize it because everything you're looking at is on the outside. And so when God changed me through that, all of a sudden, I began to serve in a church. I was teaching. I was doing things that all of a sudden God just changed my perspective to make it about other people more than about myself. You know, you just said something that triggered a thought. It wasn't a, a planned question, but when I think of what you said in terms of at high school, you were playing for Sean mm-hmm. and you were playing to win. Cedarville, it's all about using it, soccer as a platform to share your your faith in Jesus. Where do you come down in terms of just the role of competition within the Christian life? Is that, is that a struggle and something that we need to be mindful of? So I'll tell you what, Mark, I have an aggressive nature and uh, I've always battled that. And uh, even uh, I play adult hockey and uh, when I get on the ice, uh, you know, I, I watch my boys play hockey. And then when they were gone, uh, I could afford for myself to play. And so I played <laughs> and all it takes is one little thing to, to get you off, to have you respond in a bad way. And like Dr. Dixon always said, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And uh, there were some times when what kept me from doing that is because I was a pastor. And so I responded yeah. in a different way. But there were some times that when I was struggling I didn't care if I was a Christian. I responded in a way that clearly wasn't pleasing to God. And uh, so for for us, I believe that as Christians, we compete. We compete to win. Right. But we don't bend the rules. We don't go outside of the, the scope of what is right in the game. 
And also, I think where it shows the most is how we lose. Because are we able to stay positive? And uh, that is a tough thing that, that, that we deal with in life. Yeah, that's, that's a good uh, perspective. Uh, I'm, I'm highly competitive myself. Um, but I think the way one shows after they lose is a real testament to their, who they are and uh, who they believe in. So, yeah. And I think also Mark is that the proof is in the pudding as far as even my wife, we talk about this and, and we were friends way before our, our we were co-units, our, our guy, girl units. And uh, so she knew me before I got my life going in the right direction. And I think what happens is when God transforms you, people recognize People see that difference, uh, and I know that in my life, people saw that difference because of that change. Yeah, that's that's good. So as I mentioned at the outset of today's program, you earned a degree in business. Right. And, it, and it, I think it was your intent on having a very successful career in the business world. In fact, you even landed a position at NCR in Dayton right after graduation, but that never materialized. <laughs> what, ha- what, what happened? You know, it was so crazy because between my junior and senior year, I had a friend that was offered an internship for NCR, and he wanted nothing to do with it. But but his mom said to the guy that was hiring, "Hey, I know someone that you could that you could hire. He would love to do that. He's a business major." So he reached out to me, and uh, I worked there at NCR for my summer between my junior and senior year. And as I was leaving, they said, "We want to hire you when you graduate college." And so I was at the U.S. headquarters, and I just, I loved business. I just, that was my sweet spot. I loved it. Never thought about the ministry. And uh, about that time that I was graduating, NCR was bought out by AT&T, and so they moved all of their operations down to Atlanta. And uh, so a lot of the headquarters, the world and the, and, the, and the U.S. headquarters began to disappear and go down there. So before I even had the job, I had lost it. And uh, Mark, I always tell people what was ironic about that is as I followed God and I pursued what he had for me, the year 1997, I officially graduated from seminary. And that same year, NCR bought themselves back, moved back to the Dayton area. Now, again, just like an individual losing his life, I can't say it was for me totally, but I also can't say a company leaving and going to Atlanta and coming back was for me, but it is very peculiar. <laughs> well, it's, it's God's timing and it, right. it's probably God's way to direct your life. Exactly. Um, and I think it's affirming to that too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and at, with that affirmation, it just, it should grow our faith that God does have our best right. at, at mind and, and we can, and we can trust him. We can follow him. So instead of working uh, for NCR in Dayton, you mentioned you went to a seminary. You went to Baptist Bible Seminary to, to study pastoral ministry. Right. And that's an amazing trans- transformation for a person who was walking away from the church, right. struggling to get his life together just a few years earlier to now be preparing for the ministry. So when you look back now, what comes to your mind about this transformation in your life? Really, the only reason I got into the ministry was I was getting married. I had no job. My home church contacted me, and they contacted me once. I said no. Contacted me again a couple weeks later. I said no. 
Uh, my senior pastor then caught, caught from my church called again, and he said, Sean, listen, we really want you to come. We see this in you. We've talked to people. They see it in you. And that's kind of cool when you hear the affirming words of other people. Yeah. So we went there and served for three years. And to be honest, I really did not know what I was doing. Uh, when it came to ministry, I just did the way I was raised. And uh, after that, I recognized I need to go to seminary. I need more training. And going off to Baptist Bible Seminary was just amazing. Number one, for my wife and I, it, we got away from all family, and it was just us. And I tell all couples, that time when you get away from just all your family can be a good time. It's also good to go home. Yeah. But that really is a good time for bringing a relationship together. And in that time, we went through some challenges, at, but God continued to to work and affirm to where even my last year, I was the president of the student body, and that just boggled my mind because I looked at everybody else as righteous and me just a messed up dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> what did your parents think about that? Uh, they were very happy. My grandfather was a Baptist pastor for his whole life. And matter of fact, when I was going through some dark times at Cedarville, my grandfather showed up in the parking lot of Lawler. And uh, my mom called me on the phone and said, Grandpa's out there. He wants to talk to you. And I thought, oh, great. <laughs> and to be honest, my attitude was so bad then, I can't even remember a thing that he said. I just remember it was so embarrassing to have my grandfather waiting to talk to me. And, and he, we called him the patriarch for a reason. We respected him and looked up to him. But at that time, I didn't want to hear him. Yeah. So when you, uh, when you think back to your college education, you know, obviously there's a lot of good things that came out of it, especially right. the, the last year or so. But uh, what, are the, what are the overwhelming thoughts as you uh, summarize your college experience at Cedarville? Well, I was grateful for the man that it helped me become. Now, my mom and dad had set me on that course and there were bumps along the way, but but Cedarville helped me become that man. And even later on, when I was in full-time ministry, there were some difficult decisions that I had to make, whether to stay at a church or leave. And we were in Florida, and Dr. Dixon was willing to get together with me, and he just spoke some amazing truth. And I'll have to say that because I'm a, a bit stubborn sometime and think I can make something work, he had told me, he said, Sean, you need to leave the church you're at. He said, he says, you're just, your vision for the church doesn't fit where you're at. And, uh, I remember saying, no, I'm going to prove him wrong. I can do this. And right. he was totally right. And about a year later, I stepped down, moved to a different ministry. And then I had to contact him and say, you were right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, when, when you think of Dr. Dixon, at least for when I think of Dr. Dixon, I think of a, of a song that he would sing in chapel. What, do you, what, what about you? Christ is all I need. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That still gives me the chills when I hear that. Now it didn't give me the first two years, very good chills, but yeah. it probably gave me different kind of chills, <laughs> yeah. but, but definitely man, that song was just a, a life song there. Yeah. It's so true. Sean, there's, there's a lot more that I really want to talk with you, but I'm going to leave the podcast right there for the, for today and come back with you next week. And let's talk next week about what you're doing now in Florida. Uh, we'll just pick up then. And uh, I want to thank you for sharing your heart about your your struggles and your joys at Cedarville and just how the Lord really transformed you as a result of your time at Cedarville. Thanks for joining me this week on the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much, Mark. It's been great to be with you.
Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.